stand and turn in your Bibles. We're going to be in um, Isaiah chapter 43 and 44. Um, you can follow along on the screen as well uh, if you don't have your Bible. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from east and west. From eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sakes, I will send an army against Babylon, forcing the Babylonians to flee in those ships they are so proud of. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves, and they drowned their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. But dear family of Jacob, you refuse to ask for my help. You have grown tired of me, O Israel. You have not brought me sheep or goats for burnt offerings. You have not honored me with sacrifices. Instead, you've burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your faults. I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. In chapter 44. But now listen to me, Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. The Lord who made you and helps you says, Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, O dear Israel, my chosen one. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the first and the last. There is no other God. Who is like me? Let him step forward and prove to you his power. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim my purposes for you long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any other God? No, there is no other rock, not one. How foolish are those who manufacture idols. These prized objects are really worthless. Rescue me, he says. You are my God. Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed and they cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect. Why, it's just a block of wood. The poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? Pay attention, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel. 
I, the Lord, made you, and I will not forget you. I have swept away your sins like a cloud. I have scattered your offenses like the morning mist. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done this wondrous thing. Shout for joy, O depths of the earth. Break into song, O mountains and forests and every tree. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and is glorified in Israel. This is God's word. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, I pray this morning that you, your spirit would fill Pastor Kyle as he speaks, Lord. Your word is so powerful. God, just use it to change us for your glory. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. <clears throat> well, friends, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. It's so good to see everyone this morning as we reflect and meditate on the Word of God and how powerful it is. What a wonderful passage of Scripture I know is lengthy. Um, I just encourage you guys to take some time to perhaps read through that passage this week, chapters 43 and 44. We didn't read the entire passage, uh, but uh, big sections of it, and it's just uh, powerful to reflect on its promises who God is. How many times in that scripture did you notice it said, do not fear, I am God, there is none other, I am with you. Um, just the amazing promise of God to us. So just praise God for that. I hope that it encouraged you, and I hope that um, you're ready to receive the word of God. And if you don't know the Lord this morning, I hope that um, through hearing the word of God that you would know that, that God has revealed himself to us through his word and through his creation, and that he loves you and desires you to come to him. So I just, um, my hope and prayer is that this morning that that message would be clear and that you would come to faith in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I want to summarize, I think, this passage, and if I could summarize this passage, I'd really do it like this. That the key to a vibrant and joyous and sober and content life requires the daily habit of forgetting and remembering. Just two things, forgetting and remembering. It says, uh, kind of like the heart of this, this passage for me that kind of just really stuck out, was in verses 18 and 19 where it says, Forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in a dry wasteland. And from this text, I really gather that there are three things that we need to forget and three things that we need to remember. If you kind of look at, just scan over this entire passage, we need to be vigilant as Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, because it's so easy to forget these things. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, it's so, it's so easy to look for these things and other things in other places and people and never really find the answer to them. But these things are that your sins do not define you, number one. And number two, the present is better than the past, and number three, that only God is safe. Your sins do not define you. The present is better than the past. And only God is safe. Okay? Built into these three points, I think, are things that we need to remember and things that we need to forget. And we'll get into that more in a moment. I selected this text um, on this day because today marks the last day of a year past. It is New Year's Eve. And tomorrow is the first day of a new year. 
the earth uh, has spent one more year turning around, right? I don't know it's the scientific term for it, but the sun, one more year shining, the, the stars, one, one more year twinkling, our hearts, one more year beating. So congratulations, you lived one more year. <laughs> you did it. And it's easy as time, I think, passes on to wonder what the point of life is. To sort of forget, even as Christians, why we're here. To start to think that our best years are past us. Remember Napoleon Dynamite when, you know, Uncle Rico just wanted to be in high school again so that he could be a star quarterback and throw footballs over mountains. His best years, it's easy to start thinking like that, though. To start thinking that, there, that your best years are past. That the things you've lost will never be re- replaced by anything quite as lovely. We kind of go there. We just settle for the mediocre life that is presented to us, um, the, the life that we could have had but lost. And some of us, I know, have experienced great prosperity and blessing this year. So maybe it's been a great year for you. Maybe great things have happened. Marriage or children or jobs or the like. <clears throat> but others of us, Maybe some tragic loss happens. Loss that stings you. Loss that maybe puts you to the mat. A failure, uh, a shortcoming, a way that you didn't measure up and you know it, and you know it to be wrong. Now I want to inspire you this morning, each person, to have a vision for the upcoming year. The year ahead. A vision for hope. A vision for life. A vision for joy. A vision for service to Jesus Christ. It's a vision of trust. A vision for you, a vision for us. And I don't think that any of us will be any, use, be any good in even having a vision, vision unless we start forgetting some things. Unless we start really remembering some things. You're just going to stall out, just like, and I've been there myself, we're going to stall out, we're not going to trudge forward, and we're not going to have a vision for life. So a vision for life that requires forgetting and remembering something to be forgotten, something to be remembered. And the very first one is that your sins do not define you. In Christ, your sins do not define you. Now for this statement to be meaningful and believable, We need to know why our sins, our mistakes, our flaws don't define us. To know that we need to have somewhat of a context for the overarching themes in the entire biblical narrative. So I'm going to do something really impressive. I'm going to hopefully impress you (laughs) um, today. I want to explain to you what the whole Bible is about. Okay, In one quick five-minute explanation. If you're going to know why your sins don't define you, you have to know what the Bible is and what the Bible's about. It really is the most important thing to grasp. And if you don't even know Jesus Christ this morning, please hear this, because this is for you. The text we read in Isaiah has a place in the grand story of all of Scripture. The Bible's a large book, but the Bible is about something in particular. There's a unifying theme all throughout Scripture, a narrative, if you will, that we can understand and grasp and follow. The text we read in Isaiah has a place in that grand story of Scripture. The message in Isaiah in particular, the one that we just read, is to the nation of Israel. 
And the nation of Israel in the Old Testament is like a physical, national representation of the spiritual people of God. The church, if you will. Okay? Saved people. People have been rescued by God. God's people who have been forgiven of their sin and given a destiny. God is telling Israel that he loves them and that he's going to keep the promise that he made to save them. That he is bringing them to the place promised. Okay? He tells them to return to the Lord because they had sinned that there's no other God to follow him, to trust him, to not fear, and that he will be faithful to his promise. He will keep them. Okay? That's basically the message of Isaiah 43 and 44. So for us to understand really what's going on in that passage in particular, we have to understand what the Bible's about, the basic biblical narrative, and the themes of Scripture to us, and there are four. Some of you may have heard this before. But there are four basic sub- subcategories of Scripture. Whenever you're reading the Bible, anywhere in the Bible, it's about one of these four things. The first, thing, the first theme is creation, that there is a God, that God has created all things, right? God always has uh, always was, always will be. He is the only uncreated thing. Um, he, and he created all things that exist came from him. He created all things. There is no other God but him. And all that he created was good. That's another thing we should mention. He created these things for his glory and that so that humanity in particular would experience a loving relationship with their creator. He's their origin, their father, their God, and we find our purpose in him and right relationship with him. Does that make sense? So God is our creator. The second theme in scripture is the fall. Creation, fall. We had right relationship with God. Everything in creation was good, but then sin was found in our hearts and we disobeyed. Wickedness was found and we turned away from our creator. We started spurning his laws and deciding that we could be our own origin, our own creator. We can make our own gods, as we mentioned before in this passage of scripture. We severed the relationship through disobedience. We worshiped gods of our own making, dumb idols. And by the way, they're not just wooden statues. They're anything that we rely on, anything that we think is going to rescue us, save us, define us, and define our purpose. It could be a relationship or it could be money. So we sever the relationship through disobedience. We worship other created things over the creator. And because of that, the wages of sin is death. It's not God that we need, so we think. Not God that made us, so so we think. It's not God from whom is our source of life, so we think. It's our hands, it's our minds, it's our own efforts that are our glory. You shall not die for the day you eat this fruit you will be like God himself. I will rise above the Most High. I will seat myself in the heavenly places. You see, this fall consequentially separated us from our good God creator who loved us, our Father, and we are now estranged. So the creation, the fall, and number three, and it's bleak at this point, right? This is not good. And by the way, you might disagree with all of Christianity, but you can't disagree with this. Something's wrong. And you know it. Could I offer to you the possibility that that the thing that's wrong is that you are away from your God creator and you need to be reconciled to him through faith in Christ. That's the key. It's not more money and it's not marriage or children. It's not success or power. It's Jesus Christ being reconciled to our good God who made us. And that's number three. The third theme in scripture is redemption. To redeem means to pay the purchase price. 
I'm in debt to you a million dollars, I come to you with the million dollars, right? It's to pay a price. We owe God, in other words. Our sin has violated his holy command. We're separate from him, and something needs to be paid for that sin if we're ever going to be put back in right relationship with him. God, in eternity past, knowing that humanity would spurn his good law, reject his paternal love, yet decreed to have his son bear the burden of death in our place. He said, my son will pay the debt you owe because you can't pay it. There's, no, uh, there's not enough blood in your veins to be shed for it. And that might seem offensive to us, but it's only because we don't really understand who God is. We don't understand his glorious holiness, his righteousness, his purity. We think that sin isn't a big deal compared to the holiness of God. And that's our malfunction. That is not true. God cannot look at sin, will not look at sin, and will forever separate it from him. So we can't pay the debt we owe. And this is where Jesus enters the scene. That glorious plan in eternity past. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, that very moment, these heads of humanity, God promised to save them. In the symbolism, in the spoken, in a spoken promise. When Adam and Eve took the fruit, disobeyed God, were separated from his goodness and power, God immediately makes a promise to them that is both symbolized and spoken. Symbolized, and what does he do for them? He makes a sacrifice and he clothes their nakedness. That's the symbol that God is going to clothe us, not, we, not us. You see, they tried to clothe themselves with leaves, but God said, that's no good. I need to clothe you. So he makes the sacrifice and clothes them. It's a symbol. And then not only that, he speaks the promise to them. He speaks to them in Genesis chapter 3. He says, the seed of the woman will produce the Messiah, the Savior, God's Son, and he will be the Lamb of God, the one that will die for your sins in your place. And this is our redemption. Our sinful rebellion can be atoned for. In other words, the word atone means that we are made one with God again. Our sinful rebellion can be atoned for, but not with our blood, only with the blood of a substitute. And this redemption price, paid by a substitutionary sacrifice, is symbolized all over the Old Testament. By laying on the hands of a goat, you remember this? representing the transfer of guilt, and that goat was sent out into the wilderness. That's a story in the Old Testament. It's a symbol that our sin needs to be placed on someone else, or it will never be gone. There's many Old Testament sacrifices where lambs and sheep and cows and all these different things are brought to the temple to satisfy the anger of God towards sin, and that sacrifice satisfies him. Well, in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is the Lamb of God the final sacrifice, the only sacrifice that can cover our sin. And we see this so powerfully in Genesis chapter 15. I want to read it to you at length so that you can understand what it means that your sins were paid for by Jesus Christ. Okay, Genesis chapter 15, God is speaking to Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. If you grew up in church, you know that song. It says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Abraham. A son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. 
he took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars. By the way, that heir is the seed of Eve, the Redeemer, Savior, Master, and Lord. Look at the sky, he says. Count the stars, if, if indeed you can count them. He said to them, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He said to him, he also, Yahweh, said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Now, this might seem mysterious to you, but just try to understand it like this. God is promising Abraham that he and his people will be with God again that his sins will be forgiven, and that he will be forever in the presence of God. I know this is very earthly language, but this is the point. This is what it's getting at, okay? And Abraham's like, well, that's, that's good news, right? Like, my sins are going to be forgiven, that I'm not going to be forever separated from, from, with you because of sin. But how do I know this is really going to happen? How will I know that I'll gain possession of it? That, in other words, I'll be with you forever. So the Lord said to him, okay, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to, that, to him. Now this gets violent. He cut them in two, and he arranged the halves opposite each other. When the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I give this land. I will give this land. Now here is a fantastic example of the covenant, the promise God made to his people. God here in this passage is making a promise with Abraham. It's called a covenant in the Old Testament. A covenant covenant basically is like a divine contract. That's all it really is. Okay, it's a fancy word that you might have heard before, but that's all it really means. It's a divine contract. It's a deal that if you break it, there's consequences. Okay? So God's putting his neck in the noose, in other words. You sign a contract for a home, and a bank signs a contract for a home. What do you know? If you break the contract, who's in trouble? You're in trouble. The bank's not going to give you mercy, are they? Well, what if the bank signs the contract, uh, breaks it? Well, they're in trouble, too. You can go after them for reparations. They are saying, this will happen. And if you break it, Um, You're in trouble. If I break it, I'm in trouble. That's what a covenant is. Covenants in the Bible um, normally include two people in the presence of God. So two people are making a contract with each other in God's presence or one person with God himself. See? Now normally covenants in the Bible include various components. There's parts of it. Just like an email. Right? What's the the beginning? Dear so-and-so. Hey, man. Like that's, you don't just jump into your message. Well, some people do. But most of the time you just say, hey, Pat, how you doing? Uh, Can you blah, 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 you know, blessings. I always put blessings on mine. Kyle, right? Because I'm a Christian. That's what I got to do. Right? So (laughs) there are parts of it. Same thing in a covenant. The covenant begins with a historical narrative. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That's the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is a covenant. It's a, it's a historical narrative. In other words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land. This is in Genesis 15. What's God saying? You owe me. I'm God. I created you, and here's what I did for you. You owe me. <laughs> 
right? I'm sorry, but that's what that means. Now, there are stipulations. You shall not do this. You shall do that. That's the stipulations. That's the contract, right? And then there's the curse. And this is, by the way, the book of Leviticus, or in Deuter- the end of the, the book of Deuteronomy as well. It's not pretty. If you break it, here's what's going to happen to you. If you keep it, here are the good things that will happen. Here are the blessings that will happen. Okay? This is the covenant, the Old Testament covenant. Once everyone's like, okay, that's cool, I agree with you, God, and God's like, okay, do you agree? Yeah, let's sign this thing. Well, how do they sign it? They do it with a sacrifice. They call it a covenant ratifying oath. And the covenant ratifying oath is meant to symbolize what will happen to you if you break it. So in other words, may I be cut in two, like these animals are cut in two, if I don't keep this covenant. It's violent, right? Those are some hefty consequences. Now something that I didn't read in Genesis chapter 15, unintentionally, I left the most important part out, but in this particular instance, God puts Abraham to sleep. And he says, you stay over there. And normally what would happen is both parties would walk through these pieces, symbolizing like if I break it, I'm in trouble. If you break it, you're in trouble. But Abraham's not there. He's sleeping. And this smoking fire pot goes through alone. And you know what that's, that means? It means something very power, powerful and very fantastic. He's saying, Abraham, even if you break this covenant, may I be cut in two for you. You see, God is making a covenant with Abraham of blessing that is sure, that is guaranteed, because Abraham will break it, but God will pay the price for him. That's redemption, friends. That's redemption. The holiness, the marvelous justice of God requires separation of, from him forever and ever. Our death, that's the symbol of death. But because of Christ, he walks through alone the shadow of death for us. You see, that's the grand theme of redemption. God is saying, I will die for your sins. But now, this is back in our text in Isaiah. Oh, Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. The one who formed you says, do not be afraid. I have ransomed you. I have. I died for you. I paid the debt for you. I've done it. So don't fear. Don't be afraid. When you go through the deep waters, I'll be with you. Death will not touch you or harm you because I paid for you to safely go through it. And if we're ever going to know life, the life of God in our soul, we must know that our sins are really forgiven because God, Christ, died for them. And if He didn't die for them, friends, you carry them yourself. And forgiveness is an illusion because only in Christ is it actually gone. The price has been paid by faith. Abraham, you have believed me, and that faith is credited to you as righteousness. Credited to you as righteousness. A foreign righteousness, a goodness, an innocence, not his own, was credited to him because of Jesus Christ.
So you know what that means for us who have trusted in Jesus? You need to forget your sin. It's gone. You need not bear the guilt and shame of it anymore. And it doesn't matter if you did it yesterday or 10 years ago. Friends, can I just invite you to consider this morning that you will never thrive in the spiritual life until you forget your sin. That it is forgiven and you are righteous. You need to forget it. He lays no guilt on you. So why lay it on yourself? Your mistakes do not define you in Christ because you are righteous in Christ. God declares, I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. Forget it. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on them because Christ died for them. God forgives you in Christ. Can you forgive you? Can you forgive your neighbor? Can you forgive the fault of someone else? Can you go into the new year with all the burdens of past sin lifted off of your neck? Get them off your back. I know it's hard. I know we look back at our lives sometimes with guilt and shame, but that's when we need to remember the cross. We need to remember that God the Lord went through those pieces alone. He carried it for us and died for us. Now earlier I mentioned the themes of the overall narrative of Scripture, the creation, the fall, redemption. Well, the fourth is recreation or transformation. We're going to get into that by looking at this next point, that the present is better than the past. The present is better than the past. Let me say it another way. Where you are right now is better than where you plan to be. And you might hear that with maybe some difficulty. But where you are right now is better than where you planned to be. Now, I know that if this is falling on devastated lives, it's going to be hard for you, or maybe even angering, for you to swallow the, that statement. Perhaps your marriage ended, or some treasured relationship. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe someone you loved, you lost them to an addiction, or they entered into an addiction, some accident. Maybe you bear the emotional scars of some tragedy or trauma or abuse. And today, because of these things, presents to you the, like, just the tragic aftermath of all of this junk. So how can you say, where I am is better than where I plan to be? How dare you say that? Maybe you haven't experienced such trauma, but you look back on the past as best years behind. Years of highlights and victories, like Uncle Rico, right? Yourself in your prime. I remember when I was 20. I was still overweight in my, when I was 20. But <laughs> as a Christian, perhaps remembering God's mighty works back then, right? The things that happened. Oh, I remember when Jesus did this and this, this thing happened. And wow, wasn't it amazing? And we're just kind of like, well, you know, life is just kind of life now, Right? Here's what the word of the Lord says to you. Forget all that. Forget it. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. 
for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in a dry wasteland. Now, it might have been easy for Israel to recall You guys know some of these stories in the Old Testament. Perhaps you don't. Maybe Israel's thinking about Moses when when God opened the Red Sea. In In the Old Testament, there's a story about that, God opening and parting the sea. And these amazing miracles, and they're thinking about these things, and the the supernatural power of the past, maybe thinking about the prophet Elijah and all the things that he did and the mayhem he caused with all the wicked prophets of Baal. Days of wonder, supernatural power, and now it's a wasteland. Now it's a wilderness. That's how they see it, at least. Maybe they're thinking about King David and how he defeated Saul, took down Goliath, made Israel this this incredibly prosperous nation through Solomon, built the temple and gold and princes and princesses from all over the world coming to visit Solomon for his wisdom and for all the wonderful things that they had done. Thinking about these, and, and at all of this, as it cycles through their national memory, God tells them, forget about that. Isn't that incredible? Forget about it. Because he says, I'm about to do something way better. Do you believe, friend, can we just kind of stop for a moment and ask ourselves, do we really believe that? that God is about to do something incredible, fantastic in our lives. Friends, if you don't believe that, you don't believe the gospel. Because that is the promise of the gospel. That God is about to do it. You say, okay, our problem with is the about to. Because the about to means it hasn't happened yet. It's coming soon. And you know, when God says soon, it's not always a soon, it, like soon, we define soon different than he does. Soon for us is like 10 minutes from now. Soon for God could be 10 years. It could be the day you die and enter glory. But it's soon. You see, I am about to do something new. One translation reads, Forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. See, I am doing something new. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? you got to see it. And so many things distract us from it. Our past, our present, our desires. Scripture here isn't telling us not to stand in awe at what God has done in the past. I don't think that's what it's saying. It's not saying to say we we can't be thankful for things from our past that God has done. But it's reminding us, though, that the past should not demean what God's doing now and what God will do in our future, where he is bringing us. Because if you think that, you're going to be useless. You're not going to move. You're not going to work, because why bother? This is, you know, the best. God did it then, and now it's just we're we're waiting for heaven. Friends, Now he is doing something new. Notice how the present is described in in our text. A wilderness. A waste. I'm making a path through the wilderness and the wasteland. 
Those aren't pretty places. That's how, that's how God is describing our life at times. Empty and seemingly purposeless. It's a dry wasteland. What's going on? And whether we perceive our best days as behind us or suffer perhaps in the present because of some loss, life at times can seem like a barren and dry wasteland. How is that better than the plan I had? As mysterious and as difficult a pill it is to swallow, God always brings about redemption, transformation, the recreation, and restoration through sacrifice and suffering, through a cross. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. How is the cross a better plan than no cross? Isn't a no, you know, option A, no cross, option B, cross. How is option B, cross, better? Because that's what I'm suggesting to you, because sometimes we endure tragic things in our lives. And what I'm suggesting is God's plan is better, always better. Because it brings us to his intended end, which is recreation, transformation, the eternal city where there is no suffering or sorrow, where your sins are forever separated from you. You see? The Bible doesn't say, just to give you some comfort here, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus enjoyed the cross. It says that he endured the cross. That means it's hard. It's not easy. So it's okay if it's not easy for you to go through tragic things in life. It's It's not supposed to be easy. But friends, we endure it for the joy set before us. It's through the crucible that God delivers us to glory. Do not be afraid for I am with you, I will, I will gather you and your children from east to west. Friends, this is a picture in the book of Revelation of the coming of Christ when he gathers all his people and he sets up his eternal kingdom. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Wow. In Christ, you know what that means? That in Christ, your present is better than any plan that you might have concocted for your life. It's better. I work all things together for the good to those who love me. In Christ, your life and all of its circumstances, it's the transit, it's the bus, it's the train which God uses to bring you to glory with him forever. And by the way, in eternity, you receive back everything that you've lost right here and now. Your health, your dad, your home, your love, your safety, your peace, your joy, it's given back to you. So friends, forget the former things and remember the king is coming. Remember that this year. Forget the past. Remember the king. Amen? Only God is safe. This is our last one. It's vital to forget... uh, It is vital to forget false comforts and phony saviors. Things that we think can keep us safe. We need to forget them. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. 
I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through the deep waters, I'll be with you. You're safe in those deep waters because I'm with you in those waters. Only God is safe. No one can snatch you out of my hands. Your trouble can't shake you out of the hand of God. Your enemies can't take you from his hand. Satan himself can't take you from the hand of God. Anything that gets to you has to go through his mighty and powerful hand. Okay? I will be with you, but dear family of Jacob, you refuse to ask for my help. You have grown tired of me. We've, stopped, we've, we've forgotten that only God can keep us safe, and we start trusting in other things, don't we? But dear family of Jacob, you have grown tired of me, O Israel, but I am the first and the last. There is no other God who is like me. Let him step forward, prove his power. How foolish are those who make idols. These prized objects are worthless. You trust something that can't help you at all. Oh, I do that so much every day. I trust something that can't help me at all. It's such a secure, earthly material security is just such an illusion. And even if we have it, we're afraid. We're, when we don't have it, we're, we're miserable because we don't have it. And when we have it, we're scared to death that we'll lose it. <laughs> right? I, the Lord, have made you. And I will not forget you. I have swept away your sins like a cloud. Return to me. For I paid the price to set you free. And there it is, friends. We have two options. Trust in God the Savior or trust in phony ones. <laughs> Only God is safe. Only He can forgive your sins. Only He can insulate you from the punishment of sin because of it. Only He calls you by name. He knows your name. He knows the hairs on your head. Only in his hand can you not be snatched. Only he's your God. Only he's your maker. And only he will never forget you. Everyone on this earth will forget you, either in this life or that, or, or you know, they're going to die one day. One day their mind won't be remembering you anymore. And we all know that. Only God will not forget us. Only he preserves us through the deep waters. Friends, only God is safe. He's the only one that's safe. He's the only one that perfects you. He's the only one that defines you. He only, he's the only one that establishes your worth. So come to him for your love. Come to him for your safety and security. That how are you ever going to say no to a man that you shouldn't be with if you don't have God to replace him with? You're just going to look for safety in everything but God. Perhaps you, you, um, you do these things, you might prize some other worthless object for this. Perhaps you trust something that can't help you at all, like a dad, a spouse, or a job. Friends, these aren't safe. They can't pay for your sins. They change their minds. And they can't hold you secure in their hand. They did not name you or make you. And they cannot keep you through the deep waters. Friends, I want to invite you this year, as you consider it, be diligent to forget phony saviors and to remember Christ the King. Amen? Let's pray. God, you are good. And how wonderful is your grace and favor to us. We want to take this time right now, if there's anyone here that has never heard the beautiful message of the gospel, and this is the first time it's falling on their ears and they're realizing that there's a God creator king who made them and made them for a relationship with him, but your sin has separated you from his holiness. 
and you're realizing this for the first time, and Jesus, God, offers you salvation in Christ through the death and resurrection of Christ. He died for your sin. He is the Redeemer. He is the Savior. He pays your bill for you. The Bible says simply, repent of your sin and receive Him by faith alone. It's a gift. Trust in Him, and He will recreate your heart and bring you to His glory. Friends, if, that, if God is warming your heart right now, turning your, your sin, um, turning you from your sin to faith in Jesus, would you tell him right now in the silence of your own heart, God, save me, a sinner. Rescue me. Thank you that the death of Christ was done for sinners like me, that I don't have to pay for it, that you paid for it for me. And you are bringing me back to a love relationship with my Creator. Friend, if that's you, come talk to me after church. I would love to pray with you and delight with you in what just happened by God's power in your heart. And God, as we approach um, our time of communion, we thank you, Lord, for the death and resurrection of Jesus, that we can forget the former things because of the cross, that we can forget our sin because of the cross, 